0: Welcome here to our uh, midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trahirn. And also welcome those uh, people with us via internet and also here in town, uh, FM Signal. Please open your hymnals on number 214 214. Verily, verily. 214.
1: Father, we are thankful this evening again that we can know that salvation is a gift from Thee and it's available to all people. We're thankful that the invitation is still there this evening, that people can be saved, they can be forgiven, they can know Thy peace and blessing. We pray for our opportunities that we have tonight as we meet together here and as we also broadcast across the world. We thank Thee for the opportunity we have. Thank Thee for the internet and for the ability to use that for thy glory. And we pray that this would continue to be the case until the Lord returns, that we could use the internet to reach into hearts and lives in other places and encourage people that do not have access to a good church. And we pray for the many areas in our world that do not have access to good churches. We pray, Father, for men to be raised up to be willing to be pastors and evangelists, to serve thee in this capacity to be trained to be godly men and not just uh, just men looking for a position but men who actually love the lord and want to serve thee in, in heart and soul and mind we thank thee father for the opportunity of serving thee here in this area and we do pray for our outreach efforts here in this area that we can help people to know the truth we pray for our services in the Notre Dame seniors home that we can be a blessing and a help there and we pray also for our witness in the community we pray for Albert and for his family that they would see the importance of thy house and of learning of thee on a regular basis and also for others that have come in the past we pray that we can be a help to them to know thy peace and blessing pray for family members that need to be saved and need to be listening to the word of god that we can be a help to them that they also would want to know thee so guide and direct us we pray that we would honor thee and allow thee to direct us in all that we say and do here we pray in jesus name amen Amen. thank you
0: And over to 261, 261, trust and obey, 261. Mm-hmm.
2: He abides with us still and with all They who will try.
0: And twenty eight, four hundred and twenty eight to the work, four hundred and twenty eight to
2: the work, to the work, we are servants of God. Let us follow the path that our master has tried with the bomb of his counsel strength to renew. Let us do it our The cross and its father, our glory shall be while we hear. The mirror shall fall, and the name of Jehovah exalted shall be. With a runs some yeah.
1: Take your Bibles and turn to 1st Timothy chapter 3. 1st <clears throat> Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking there at verses 14 through 16. First Timothy three, fourteen through sixteen will stand please for the reading of God's word. It says there, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again this evening that we have thy word. We're thankful again that there is so much instruction for us that we need to know, that we need to pay attention to, that we need to take heed to, and follow after if we are saved. We thank thee for teaching us the importance of the local church and that we see in the Bible that the local church was very important in the New Testament time, that the Apostle Paul was, they traveled many miles and faced many dangers as he traveled to establish churches in many different places. Peter and John were also involved, Timothy as well, and others were as well, but we don't know their names. But we thank thee that throughout the New Testament time and into our time today that there are true churches where people can go, where they can learn the truth and fellowship with other saints and reach out from the local church to help others to know the truth as well. We pray for each one that's listening today, that each one would see the importance of the local church for those that are saved, that they would see the need to be a part of a true local church. To support that church with their prayers and also with their financial giving and also be faithful in attending that church we pray for those who are listening and not saved that they might see their need to repent toward thee and be forgiven and saved to know thy peace and blessing may thy will be accomplished we pray as we spend this time in the study of thy word and continuing to study church history that we could learn important lessons for our time that can help us to be effective in this day and age and prepare young people for their time as leaders in the church if they are saved we look forward to the soon return of thy son the lord jesus christ and we pray that we'd be faithful to thee in the meantime we pray in jesus name amen may be seated The title of the message this evening is The Danger of Power-Hungry Men. The Danger of Power-Hungry Men. I read a headline this week that China is rewriting the Bible. I didn't open the article, but knowing that the Chinese government is a communist government, I can imagine what that rewrite will look like. There are over a hundred perversions now of the Bible, and the Chinese will try to develop their own that will they will use to try to force their people into believing what they want them to believe. Of course, the true Christians will not fall for that deception. They will be persecuted, but they will be true to God and willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> it is rare... In our time and probably in every generation when we look at the Word of God, it's rare to find a person who is willing to hold to the truth. There are, in any generation, there are many people who claim to be Christians, but among that group there are few that are willing to hold to the truth and stand upon it. We know from church history that there have been waves of persecution, even in the New Testament, we read of that. And we find Peter and John, we find the Apostle Paul, we find Stephen and a few others who stood true to the Word of God. But there were over 3,000 people that were saved in the second chapter of the book of Acts. But we don't read of many of those who were willing to stand true and and be willing to stand up for the truth and contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. And so it's very important for us to not just have a superficial belief in God, but to actually believe in him and to be willing to stand against the the lies that are so common in our world and stand for the truth. Then I read also a man who... Uh, is challenging people in Canada with regard to the political situation in our country. And he said that politics should not be like religion. And he said in religion, it's a blind faith that people follow. That's what he believes religion is, a blind faith. And for false religion, that's true. When you think of Catholicism and the fact that they believe that you can have a concrete or a wooden statue of Mary standing somewhere and all of a sudden it starts to cry or it starts to bleed and you actually believe that, you got a problem. That's blind faith. When you believe that you can look at a piece of toast and if it gets burnt in the toaster and you see what you think is an image of Jesus in that toast... And you think that's some kind of a sacred piece of bread now. That's called blind faith. There are many religions that operate on blind faith. They don't think about what they're believing in. They just believe it. But true Christianity does not operate on blind faith. In true Christianity, the person who is lost hears the word of God. That's why Jesus Commanded the disciples and all Christians to go into the, all the world and teach all nations and to preach the gospel to all nations. And so we are told to teach and preach the word of God and the listener needs to interact with what is being said with their mind and with their heart. And then they need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their heart and to bring that conviction that causes them to humble themselves and turn to God in repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Jesus Christ is not a mythological figure. History tells us that Jesus Christ was on this earth. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, not a saved man, but a Jewish historian wrote much about the time of Jesus Christ and the effect that he had upon the world of that time. In fact, he is still having an effect upon the world today. But he's not a mythological figure. The Bible clearly declares who he is and what he did and his purpose in coming. Every person that is saved can testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is real. And they can testify to the fact that The salvation that he affords through his shed blood is sufficient to forgive of sin and to give the person a new nature. Those who are saved are different. In our world today, that's something that we are not being told. The new evangelical crowd does not teach that. They believe that Christians are just as crippled as lost people. There's really no reason for a person to be saved if you want to follow the new evangelical mindset, because in the end, just about everybody's going to heaven anyway. so what's the point? And if you can have Christians that can be divorced and remarried and Christians who get into drugs and into alcohol and have foul mouths and involved in immorality and whatever else you want to talk about, what's the point? And that's the mentality, that's the teaching that goes around in New Evangelicalism. But the Bible teaches that true Christianity changes the person. And they are changed from the inside out. Their heart has been changed and as a result of the heart change, their thinking is changed. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 challenges Christians that our minds need to be renewed. Our minds need to be changed, constantly changed. Not that we're constantly changing our minds about truths, but we need to throw off the old stuff, the lies that we've been taught, and replace them with truth. And once we have a truth, we need to hold to it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. So once we come to A place of truth in any doctrine after we're saved, we need to hold to that. But there's many things that we don't have firmed up in our minds yet when it comes to doctrine, and so we need to be ready to change according to what God's Word says and not stubbornly resist and say, Well, this is what I was taught, this is what my parents believed, and blah, 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 and so therefore I'm going to hold to it. No, the Word of God is our authority. So the first thing that we want to look at as we look again at this is a topical message. It's not going to be expositional. We're not going to stay with 1 Timothy chapter 4, 3. But in chapter 3, we are told there in verse 15 that we are dealing with the house of God. And we need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. And so one of the things that we see in church history that happened even in the first century was an inordinate power in church leadership. An inordinate power in church leadership. Inordinate means that it was not proper. It was not the way it should have been. It was out of place. So in the, in, in the first century, we already see that. If you go in your Bibles to 3 John... 3rd John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. There's only one chapter in 3rd John. In verse 9, the writer, John the Apostle, writes there in verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. That's an inordinate power in the church there in that place. That Diotrephes was one who loved to have the preeminence. He wanted to be seen as the leader. We have many men like that today. They crave attention. They want to be in front of the camera. They want to be noticed for what they can do and they want to have a plaque on the wall, this is my degree from over here, and this is mine from over here, and I have this experience, and that training, and whatever else. They want the preeminence. And they want everything to be screened through them, even though they are not fit to be screeners. And that's what Diotrephes was like. And he proved he was not fit because he wouldn't even receive John. We need to be careful who we allow to teach and preach in our churches. But when a man is a faithful man of God and we say, I don't want that man in my church, we got a problem. And John was an apostle chosen by God, by Jesus Christ. And for Diotrephes to say, no, we're not going to allow this man into our place. He's not going to teach here. He was out of place. He was a wicked man, and he is named here. Every generation, we don't know what he looked like, but we know his name. Every generation has been warned about deatrophies. And there are many people just like him in our world today who want the preeminence. The Catholic Pope is that way. The priests are that way. The bishops are that way. In many religions that have, as we're going to look at, they have a hierarchical system where they have bishops at the head, and then we then they have elders and then they have pastors. Those churches are all based on wanting the preeminence. They're not based on truth. And then in the book of the Revelation, we looked at it, when we looked at the churches in the book of Revelation, we talked about the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a people who, who wanted to have the preeminence as well. They wanted to be in charge, and they wanted to be uh, leading other people and dictating how the people should live. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look further into that as we move on in regard to the, the place of the pastor. But if you go in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and in 1 Peter 5 and and verse 3, uh, well, let's start in verse 1. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples samples to the flock. Now you notice in this, these verses that Peter is the writer. God is the author, Peter is the writer. And you notice in verse 1, That Peter says, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. Now Peter was chosen by Jesus Christ to be a disciple, right? And then he was also an apostle. But here he tells us that he's also an elder. And we're going to look into that more as we move on in this study. But he was an elder, and we see that the duty of the elder in verse 2 is to feed the flock of God which is among you. That's the purpose of the elder. Feed the flock of God. And we're not supposed to do it in verse 3. We're not supposed to do it, or verse 2, sorry. We're not supposed to do it by constraint, not because, well, I have to do it so I better get at it, Not because somebody is watching and if I don't do it, they're going to get after me. Not because I'm looking for money to do it. No, we're supposed to do it with a ready mind. We're supposed to be willing to serve God with a ready mind, studying the word of God, honoring God, talking about leadership here, and seeking to help others to know the truth. In verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage. So a pastor is not like the Pope who in times past where they had power to arrest people and to put people on trial and to even kill people. They had the, the power given to them by the state and they took it actually and they imprisoned people, and they killed many people. That's not how a true church functions. But we see that this attitude was already developing in the first century, an inordinate power in church leadership, where they took upon themselves power that they didn't have. And the problem that we find in church history is that the people generally were ignorant of the truth. And when you have a people that are ignorant of the truth, then those people are susceptible to whatever comes around. I believe it was in yesterday's devotional where I talked about the fact that there are a lot of people that have Bible studies. And the Bible talks about people that are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're having Bible studies, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why is that? Well, it's because, number one, they're lost. So the Holy Spirit is not able to get into their lives because they won't let him. And number two, they're not interested in learning the truth. They're only curious to know certain things from the Bible. A person can spend their entire lifetime studying the Bible and never be saved. Not because the word of God is not quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and so on. That's not why. But it's because they have restricted God from having access to their hearts and they only want to study the Bible in a superficial manner. There are far more people like that than there are people who want to know the truth. And so those kinds of people are very susceptible to a new doctrine. And you find those people, oh, I heard this the other day. Oh, well, that's interesting. Let's dig into that a little more and see what that's all about. And then there are also many people who don't take the time, they're not interested, they don't take the time to faithfully attend a local church. They think they can learn the Bible by themselves. They don't need to be instructed. That's pride. The Bible says that we need to be instructed. The Bible says we're like sheep. And here in First Peter, or not here, but in First Peter, we read the command from Peter, feed the flock. That's teaching. That's preaching. That's the duty of the elder, to feed the flock. And so when a person says, no, I'm not interested, or I'm busy, I don't have time, whatever the excuse might be, they too are susceptible to deception. You cannot be a self-made man. You cannot isolate yourself from God's plan and think you're going to be protected from false teaching. It's not God's design. And since it's not God's design, it's not going to work. That's the simple fact. And we need to understand that. You see, one of the things, as I mentioned in tomorrow's devotional, is I like the fact that God speaks plainly. He speaks very plainly. He speaks very clearly. There's no reason to wonder what he's talking about. And he uses language that gets our attention. And Paul was directed in Galatians chapter 3 two times in the first verses to talk about the Galatians and address them and question them as to why they were so foolish. Now, we might say, that's bad language. You shouldn't call somebody foolish. I mean, that's insulting. God isn't desirous of insulting anybody. He's desirous to get our attention. And when we are foolish, we need to be told we're foolish. So we stop being foolish. That's the point. God doesn't want his people to be foolish. He wants us to listen to the truth and follow the truth. And so that's something that's important for us to understand is God's design as leaders is that we're supposed to speak plainly to the people and address them in a way that can help them to know the truth and walk in the truth. Not in an, in a way that we're demanding and that we're we're forcing people. We can't do that. But we can tell people, for instance, we need to have order in the church and so if you want to be a member of the church you need to have a testimony that you're saved if you want to be a member of the church the bible teaches you need to be scripturally baptized by immersion in order to be a member of a local church and there's no such a thing in the bible as being baptized not being a member of a local church the only example that I can think of would be the Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling and Philip was sent to, to catch up with him and to teach him the truth and he was saved and he was baptized there. Now what he did when he got back to his local area, we don't know. We're not told that. But the general teaching in the Bible, which is what we need to go by, is that people got saved, they were baptized after they were saved and they joined a local church. That's the general teaching of the Bible. So that's what we need to follow, not the exception. And so those are some of the things that are required. You want to be a member of a true church, you need to be saved, you need to be baptized, you need to join that church. And then once you are in that church, now you need to be taught how to live as a Christian. And so there are certain standards that any good church will have. And you can't force those standards upon people. But you can tell people if you want to serve, you need to follow biblical standards. If you don't want to follow those standards, well, that's between you and God. You'll answer to him. But you won't serve in a true local church. That's biblical. There needs to be standards. There needs to be leadership needs to lead. You can't lead if you're part of the problem so you need to be willing to be obedient to God and following him, and then you can lead. And so the duty of the pastor is to guard the sheep, feed the sheep, and to make sure that there's order in the local church. The second problem that developed early in church history was corrupt associations. Corrupt associations. The lie of the devil is that there is power in numbers. Now if we go to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4 we see in verse 12 it says if and if one prevail against him two shall withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken So how many numbers do we have there in that verse How many numbers are in that verse I'll read it again, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. How many numbers are there? Three, right? One, two, three, right? You can turn there in your Bible and see it for yourself. Let's talk about three, a threefold cord. Not talking about thousands. God doesn't need thousands. Not doesn't, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't want everybody to be saved. And as we mentioned already earlier, there were 3,000 saved in Acts chapter 2. But we don't need to think that we need big numbers to be effective for God. And one of the dangers that happened early in church history was the, the drive for numbers. And so with the drive for numbers you're going to find that you're going to have compromise. You're going to have to set aside certain doctrines because they're not popular and there's not agreement on them. And so therefore you set them aside in order to have more people coming. Again, that's not biblical. Now, when we look at the Bible, God taught the nation of Israel... That when you bring an accusation against someone, you say, this person stole my cow. Well, you have to have a witness that will agree with you that that person, that that was your cow and that person stole it. You can't just go and tell him, he stole my cow, I want it back and go and take his cow and maybe it was his cow and you want an extra cow, so well, he stole my cow and you take it from him. There has to be some evidence. So God says, you want, to, you want to have justice and you want to accuse someone, there needs to be at least one other witness. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus lays out how to do church discipline properly. You start out one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you take two or three others with you and you go and address the matter again. And if that doesn't work, you take the person in front of the church. I don't say how many people are in the church, but those are the steps. When Jesus was on trial, there were many false accusations made against him. But the Jews, even though they were corrupt and wicked at that time, they understood they needed to find two people that would agree on one accusation that they could nail Jesus with and crucify him based on that fact. And they couldn't find any. There was no time when they accused him where they could get two people to agree on the accusation. And so they used Jesus' own words to try to condemn him. They twisted his words, and they condemned him that way. In Acts chapter 15, we find that in the church in Jerusalem, there was a discussion going on, because the Apostle Paul had been going around traveling from place to place and preaching the gospel, and Gentiles were being saved. And at that time... There was also a group of Jews known as Judaizers. You won't find that word in the Bible, but that's what they were called. They would be similar to the Pharisees. And they taught that you had to keep the law in order to be saved. And so the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no law keeping for salvation. It's by grace through faith. That's how a person is saved. And so the Jerusalem council was called together and there wasn't thousands of people at that council. There, there are some of the names listed in Acts chapter 15. But they discussed the matter and they came to an agreement as to what was required of Gentiles that they should do not in order to be saved, but if they were saved. And so the The Jerusalem Council, Galatians chapter 2, Paul says that the Jerusalem Council didn't add anything to his preaching. He was preaching the gospel. And the gospel, as we already said, is by faith and it's by God's grace. We trust in God and he saves by his grace. No work of man involved. So the idea that we need to have an association in order to be effective is not biblical. And as I mentioned, the danger is that in order to keep the association going, you drop your standards in order to keep people coming and joining your association. It's a number of years now when I went to my last Independent Fundamental Baptist conference. And at that conference, I was already uh, hesitant to attend those conferences because of what I observed in them. But at that last conference that I went to, one of the speakers that they had who was a highly respected uh, man in independent fundamental Baptist circles, and he in his message talked about how that every one of us as preachers that were in that conference, every one of us, we liked certain uh, types of the hippie music that was there when he was young and when I was young. And he told us that we should admit to that, that we all liked certain types of the hippie music. Well, in fact, he was wrong because I do not like the hippie music. I grew up in that era of the rock and roll and all that, that uh, wicked music And I don't want to hear that music. When I'm in a store where that's playing, I want to get out of there. We don't have that in our house. I don't want to hear it. Because that's wicked music. And I don't want it in my life. So his idea that we're all still got sin hanging around our lives, and we're still always indulging ourselves in sin, no, that's a lie. And for him to try to suggest that This is the normal part of Christianity is also a lie. And so I determined right there that this is the last conference I'm going to and I haven't gone to another one. If there were to be a good Bible conference somewhere, I might consider going or I might even consider being a part of one. But I haven't heard of one that's within a distance that that I can go to. And so I'm just not going. But you see, it's not an association that's going to make us effective. It's going to be when we stand for the truth and honor God. There's a a documentary that's been put together by an ungodly news organization that's talking about the persecution of churches in Canada in the last three years. This organization, because they're an ungodly organization, they don't know what a true church is. And so they interviewed, I think it was five different men who were who were mistreated by our our governments and by our police and by our judicial system. All of these men are leaders in their religious organizations. They all claim to be pastors, and yet not one of them is a biblical pastor. But this news organization with their documentary, one of the things, one of the comments they made, I haven't seen the documentary, you have to pay to see it, and I'm not interested in paying money to see it. And, uh, but they, the comment that they made is that there were only five, and there should have been hundreds of churches, pro- not protesting, but resisting the, the uh, pressure put on them by the government. And if that would have been the case, the government would have lost because they didn't have enough police, they didn't have enough... Uh, authority to be able to handle that kind of resistance. Well, the fact of it is that the so-called churches that they are highlighting in their documentary, not one of them teaches the truth. So the government, they don't care uh, as uh, they don't care what you believe as long as you believe what they tell you to. If you don't, then they care. And for true Christians to join with that kind of churches, that kind of organizations that don't believe the gospel, that is foolishness. That destroys the gospel message. And so we don't need to be large numbers to be effective. What we need is to be faithful. We need to stand up for the truth and teach the truth regardless of what people say. And what people demand. And when you do that, you're going to find out you're not that popular. You know, people have noted that that we know, people have noted, well, you don't have many people going to your church. No, that's true. That's true. But there's a reason for that. One of the things that you find quite common, not saying always, but quite common, when you're serving God the devil is going to attack. When you're serving God, the devil is going to try to minimize your influence. He's going to try to stop people from attending your work. And that's the reality. If you want to be a people pleaser, you can gather large crowds in the secular world, we know that right now the conservative leader in Canada, he's able to draw far larger crowds than the liberal leader is. The liberal leader, people come to his, where he's going to be, and they come there and they protest. They swear at him. They, they sit, call him names and different things. They try to get him to leave. He was at a... a sporting event the other day. Apparently there were some 5,000 people there. And while he was speaking, they booed him. But the conservative leader, he draws big crowds and they cheer him. Both of them are wicked men. They're both lost men. There's really no difference between the two of them. But one is appreciated and one is not. So when you're in the secular world, if you go around... Saying what people want to hear, you can draw a crowd. And the same is true in religious circles. If you say what people want to hear, you can draw a crowd. But if you preach the truth, you may find that there might be a crowd for a little while, but then all of a sudden, oh, I don't like what this guy says. He's always, always talking about something that that I don't agree with, and so I'm not going there anymore. There's a war going on. The Bible tells us that. There's a spiritual war going on. And in order to win in that spiritual war, we need to be saved and we need to be equipped. And We need to understand that in that war, there are going to be casualties. And Jesus warned that your own parents will turn against you your own children will turn against you your wife might turn against you your husband might turn against you if you stand for the truth so that's something that we need to understand so this idea of associations and that associations are necessary in order to be effective that was a philosophy that crept into the church early on and it's still in the churches today but it's not helping it's not a good thing. That's where denominationalism comes from. When a group of people agrees to a certain set of doctrines or, or whatever they want to call it, the doctrine, the word doctrine is a bad word today, but they joined a denomination. They had a headquarters, and different churches would be associated with that denomination, and in order to remain in that denomination, you had to agree to a certain set of rules that that denomination held to, and then you could be a part of them, and they believed that it was more effective because if you're going to move to a new area and start a church, the whole denomination would help you start that church. And, of course, then you can get things going sooner, and uh, some of the denominations, the pastor is not paid just by the the offerings of the local church, but he's paid by the denomination. The money is all pooled, And then when a church is starting out, the denomination pays for the man until the local church is big enough to support him. And then they continue to give to the denominational headquarters to go and help some other small church where they need help with uh, the funding. So that's the way the world thinks, and that's the way a lot of religions operate, and it's a compromise. It's not a good thing. So the third thing that we notice that happened already in the early churches and is a problem in church history is the corruption of Bible terms. If you go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we see there in verse 11, it says, and pay attention to this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, and he gave some... Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Okay? You notice the different categories there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we have a problem in church history early on with the corruption of Bible terms, now we don't have a problem in in our thinking here as to who an apostle is. We know that there are no apostles today, but we know that we're 12, there were twelve apostles, and they were the ones who wrote the New Testament. God is the author, and the apostles were the writers—holy men of God. We know that the Old Testament there were many prophets. And there were true prophets and there were false prophets. The true prophets, much of the Old Testament was written by true prophets of God, but there are no prophets today. So when the Apostle Paul here writes about he gave some apostles and prophets, he's talking about the scriptures. There are no apostles today, so God is not giving us any apostles. There are religions today that have apostles, but again, they have corrupted a Bible term. An apostle was a man who was chosen directly by Jesus Christ and was directly taught by Jesus Christ. We don't have that today. Prophets were men who could foretell the future. We don't have anybody like that today. There are people who claim that they can foretell the future, but they're liars. And then we have, we have evangelists. Now, in our world today, we have some churches that have an evangelist that's on their staff but in most true churches they send out people to other countries but they call them missionaries you never find the word missionary in the bible it's not there what's there evangelist what does an evangelist do evangelist travels around from place to place sometimes is invited by another pastor to help in in, an evangelistic outreach in a certain area but he also travels to places like Philip did to establish churches that's an evangelist that's the biblical term and then we have pastors and teachers now in in the early churches already we had a corruption of bible terms and we had we've talked about this in the past. The Bible does talk about bishops. If you go back to chapter three of uh, First Timothy. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter three. It says there this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then it says the bishop then must be blameless so there the word bishop is being used now who is a bishop well in the bible the bishop is the pastor it's another term for pastor what is the meaning of the word bishop the word bishop is an overseer so what is the duty of the pastor the pastor One of his duties is to be the overseer. He's to watch over the flock, Acts chapter 20. He's to watch over the flock and make sure that everything is there in place for the flock to be healthy. Again, he can't force the flock to be healthy, but he can make sure that everything is in place, that the flock can be healthy. So the music standards in a good church... The pastor, whether he, maybe he's too busy or whatever, but he is responsible to make sure that the music in the local church is God-honoring. So if he walks into the church and he hears CCM music or wild music being played, it's his duty to shut that down immediately. Any music that is used in the church needs to be approved of by the pastor. He can't wash his hands and say, well, I had nothing to do with that, talk to that person. No, you're the pastor. You're the overseer. You need to be sure. You may have assigned someone to look after, but ultimately you're responsible. So you need to be sure that you choose the right person, the right man to be in charge of the music program because you're responsible as the pastor. You're the bishop. You're the overseer. You're watching the affairs of the church. The same goes with everything else in the church. It needs to be run in a way that glorifies God. The elder. The term elder, we read that in 1 Peter chapter 5. Who is the elder? Well, the elder speaks to the maturity of the pastor. The pastor, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he's not to be a novice. A novice is a new Christian. A new Christian is not fit to be an elder. He's not fit to be a pastor. He needs to learn how to stand. He needs to have convictions. Someone that is like Peter even. Peter was an apostle. And as we read in 1 Peter 5, he's an elder. And yet in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to rebuke Peter publicly because he's Causing, he's causing divisions between the Jew Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, because he's scared to offend the Jews. He's scared to address the Judaizers properly, and he's causing division. So he had to be rebuked publicly to get with it and smarten up and and act like a elder. Because the elder needs to be one who can lead the people. You can't lead the people if you're wallowing in the mud with them. You got to be beyond that. You need to be able to stand and help people to see, yeah, the pressure is on, but we don't have to give in to the pressure. We had a great opportunity in the last three years to deal with that as the government... And the doctors and the police, they came out and said, you must do this, you must do that. It's a deadly virus. Get the shots. you got to do that. And so it was my responsibility with the people that I have influence over here in the local church as well as on the Internet, more so here, but also trying to help others. What should Christians do with these dictates from the government and from the police and doctors? What should we do? So, again, I can't force anybody, but I can look at the scriptures and I can listen to what's being said and I can take that and look at the scriptures and see my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Who is the one that has the authority to tell me what to put into my body? Does the doctor have that authority? Does a, does a politician who's a liar have the authority to tell me what I should put into my body? It's very interesting that I read a, a, a news heading today that Pfizer in the United States, one of their, their uh, warehouses was heavily damaged by a tornado. Very interesting. Pfizer made billions of dollars with their shots that they put out, which are poison shots, and they distributed them across the world. And they made agreements with every country that they sent them to that they were not responsible if people were harmed by the shots. You can't sue them. No recourse. If the shot kills you, oh well. And they lied about the quality of the shots and many people died and many people have been injured for life by those shots. But you see... That's where leadership comes in that you have to help people to see how should we deal with this So you can't be someone that makes a rash decision you have to be able to listen and to think about it pray about it study the scriptures what should we do in this situation So the elder is another term for the pastor And then the third one is the pastor. Well, what is the meaning of the pastor? He's the shepherd. He's the under-shepherd. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. He is the shepherd. And the local pastor is the under-shepherd. What does the shepherd do? Well, Psalm 23, what does he do? He leads his sheep by still waters. He makes them to lie down in green pastures. So the shepherd is not someone who throws out a whole bunch of ideas and said, pick your idea. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So the shepherd needs to be someone who speaks with conviction. He said, this is what you need to do. Now again, if you choose you don't want to, the pastor again needs to teach you're going to answer to God. And he needs to show from the scriptures... This is what you need to do. And so it's not just that you're defying the local pastor, but you're defying God. That's how the pastor needs to teach. He needs to know the word of God and teach it in such a way that people understand this is not just somebody speaking about a whim, about some idea he's got, but he's actually teaching the word of God. And that's very important. So... There was a corruption of bible terms early in church history and we have that in in many different religions we have for instance we have in Catholicism we have the pope and what does the pope declare himself to be he declares to be himself to be the latin word for pope is it's a the meaning of it is father And what does the Catholic Pope want you to call him? The Holy Father. In the Bible, in John chapter 17, there's only one Holy Father, and that's God. Not the Pope. The priests want you to call them Father as well. Jesus says don't call anybody your Father when it comes to spiritual matters. So they're out of line. And then we have also with that whole system... The Nicene Council of AD 325, where Emperor Constantine was in charge, and he had a conference, a Nicene Council. There were 318 bishops in that council. Now, who were those bishops? Were they God fearing men who were pastors of local churches? No. They were lost men who were hungry for power and willing to come under the authority of Constantine and to be used by him to try to force everybody in his time to become a Catholic. So, and along with that, we have the uh, metropolitans in certain false religions, we have the patriarchs, we have archbishops, and so on. And so in many religions today, the Mennonites, my background, you have bishops that are higher than the elders, then you have the elders who are higher than the pastor, and these people tell the pastor what he should be doing. That's not biblical. In the Bible, the elder is the pastor, is the bishop. And who tells that individual what to do? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. He's not controlled by the people. Even in churches, you have a deacon's board. And the deacon's board, what do they do in many churches? They tell the pastor what he should be preaching on. So you have a lot of things going on where you have these people who assume a position similar to what we have in the Old Testament with the pharaohs. The Pharaohs in the Old Testament believed that they were gods. And so did many of the kings. They assumed that they were gods and that the people needed to worship them. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He built a 900 foot tall statue and he commanded and demanded that the people bow before that statue, statue when the music was played. And what did he say if you didn't bow? you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. He claimed to have an authority that he didn't have. What did our prime minister do in the last three years? He demanded that everybody get the shot, and if you don't take the shot, you can't travel. And if you travel somewhere, you have to quarantine for two weeks when you come back, and you can't work in civil service if you don't take the shots. You can't be a doctor, you can't be a nurse, you can't be a policeman, you can't be a soldier. He dictated all of that. How could he do that? He didn't have that authority. That's not his authority. He was trying to control people in a place that doesn't belong to him. And he wasn't alone in doing that. Our premiers did the same thing. And our police willingly bowed to that and did the same thing. They took upon themselves authority that doesn't belong to them. And most of the people said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll bow for that, we'll bow for that, we'll go for that. <clears throat> and it's all in preparation for the Antichrist. All of these corruptions of authority are all in preparation for the coming of the Antichrist. It's been developing for a long time, hundreds of years. Speeding up as time moves along, but it's always been developing. People giving in to pressure because they don't know the truth. They don't, they're not willing to follow good leadership. They're not saved, and they want to act independently. But, but while they act independently, they still are looking, well, who else is doing this? And then they decide, based on their foggy and lost mindset, which person they're going to follow instead of being led by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God into the truth. So church history has a long history of corruption that developed in the midst of good teaching. The apostles taught the truth, and yet there was corruption in their time because people didn't want to believe the truth. Today as well, there's corruption taking place because people don't want to believe the truth. They don't want to be a part of a good church. They want to be independent for whatever their reason is. They want to be uh, self-taught and so on. And then they fall into compromise here and compromise there. You can't be a strong Christian. You can't follow the truth if you don't want to follow what God says. And so, as we continue to look at church history and we see how things happened, the good news is that in the midst of all of the corruption that there is in the past and still is today, there is still a remnant. There still are some people that are wanting to hold to the truth. And they're not perfect. You're never going to find a perfect man on this earth. But there are churches that want to hold to the truth want to glorify God and are seeking to encourage others to do the same and that's where every born again Christian needs to be a part of join a good church support that church and be used by God through that church to help others to know the truth Christians are not on this earth to be isolated for themselves we're here to reach the lost And those lost need to be reached and brought into a good church where they can grow. They can be taught and where they can grow. That's God's design. We need to follow that. So we're going to continue to look at church history, look at the negatives, and also look at the positives, that God has been faithful there will always be, until the rapture takes place, there will always be true Christians on this earth gathering in local churches. <clears throat> That's God's design, and He promises that that will stand until the rapture takes place. It could be get it well. It already is getting more difficult. But there have been other times in church history when it's been quite difficult to live the Christian life. If you've ever read The Trail of Blood, you know that there were groups that faced severe persecution. And we're going to look at some of that. And so for us, it's important to know the truth and to know how to stand now so that when persecution increases that we can continue to stand, that we're not going to buckle in and fall apart because opposition is growing. So again, if you're listening today and you're not saved, that's the place to start. You need to repent toward God, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, know his peace and blessing, and then get into a good church where you can grow. For those that are saved, we need to be encouraged and pray for one another and reach out to others and seek to help them to Turn to the true God and know his peace and blessing as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word. We're thankful that we can study thy word. Thankful that we don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be falling for those who are power hungry. But we need to be falling before thee, the true God, and walking humbly with thee and seeking to help others to know the truth as well. May thy will be accomplished to each one, in each one that's listening, and may thy name be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.